I'm Karina Givargazov, and welcome to our podcast, My Mission Is. Mission is the first fashion philanthropic media platform. Our next guest is Libby Hahn, founder of Who Shirt Company. I will let her explain the concept behind the company, but a little clue is you don't need a bra. The light bulb moment for the company came after Libby had gone through a double mastectomy, having had breast cancer. It's a very open and honest podcast, and of course, if you know Libby, there is some laughter and joy in there too. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and please wear a mask. Libby, welcome to My Mission Is Podcast. <laughs> My Mission Is Podcast. How much fun is this? Thank you so much for having me, by the way. Well, listen, it's it's long, long overdue. And I was just, it's I'm in New York City and it's a long, it's a miserable rainy day. And I thought, I can't imagine anyone <sighs> lovelier to have a conversation with this morning. I really can't. I'll bring you some sunshine, girl. I'll bring you some sunshine. Yesterday, it was, we had the craziest storm because I will just iterate for uh, that I have taken a sabbatical from New York City for the first time since I went to NYU. I spent a year and a half in Rome, and then I've lived in New York City. So basically, my entire adult life. And so this is the only time I've lived anywhere else. It's just bizarre. So I'm outside of the city um, in Louisville, Kentucky. That's, I know no one. <laughs> this is, this is just the kind of things that I like to do, you know, just like turn it upside down a little bit, you know? Yes. Anyway, but I'm close to my family. So yeah, well, that that's the most important thing right now. Yeah. What did you study in school? I studied art history. I studied art history. Ah, Cause I know that you said, um, and just for our listeners that are listening, clearly you'll get the sense of this that Libby and I go way back <laughs> way a back. very dear friend of mine <laughs> a very dear friend and I know that you're fluent in Italian I, I mean my fluency now is mildly embarrassing because in other parts of my adult life I have worked with companies where I'm talking I'm talking to companies in, in Italy so I'm speaking Italian just about every day and it's not been like that for for a couple of years I have one client in Milan and we don't speak on the phone all that often anymore at, at, at the moment was that how come you did art history and you said was that you had to take a language at school? No, I didn't even study Italian. I took one semester of Italian. Wow. I just I don't know. I just it's I just like I just like talking. <laughs> I know I just like talking. So I mean, if I'm somewhere <laughs> and I can't speak, I'm like this is not going to work for me. <laughs> I'm going to have to understand. I have to, and if I can make someone laugh in another language. I saw, I've reached a threshold of something. I don't know what it is actually, but for it's a personal threshold that I feel mm-hmm. like myself. I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I can, I can make wow. somebody laugh in another language. Wow. I didn't know that because you always, honestly, again, to the listeners, you're one of the very few people that I have the bellyache giggles with. As <laughs> you and I know we've had those experiences. Yes, we have. Um, <laughs> yes, we have. You've tied me into, I've got loads of questions and things because one, um, I want our audience to, you know, know about you and, and, and everything you're doing. And also I haven't spoken to you in so long. So it's also a catch up at the same time. But I want to know, so you, you did, you studied art history and you, you're fluent in Italian, studied Italian. What did, after art history, after you graduated, what did you do next? Because I know you from being in PR. Right. I'm working with brands, but was that your first job? What's fascinating actually is that I'm the only person I knew of my age which is now you know 
getting up there a wee bit, um, I had internships. I did internships at uh, Sotheby's my junior year, and I did an internship at Christie's in the old master department um, my senior year before I ended up spending my last semester in Rome. Um, I had to petition the dean to do that because you're not allowed to be off campus your last semester. But I did it anyway, um, and um, I... I assumed that, I, that that's what, what I would want to do, either auction house or I wanted to be in a, a, a really uh, blue chip gallery. And so when I came back to New York, I, you know, I had my printed little resume in the analog world and I got an interview at Pace Wildenstein on 57th Street. Their, their gallery was at Pace on 57th Street and I, it was a Saturday morning and the woman who I was supposed to meet couldn't make it into the city for for having a sick child, I suppose, or something like that. I don't remember. And I just stood around the gallery and I looked around. And I'm like, no, it was, a, it was a moment. I'm like, no, my love of art history, my love of art can't be a commodity and it can't be my, my work. It, it would, it would, it would change my love and my joy of it or alter it in a way that I was just, it was just a no. And then, then therefore I was in a free fall. I'm like, well, then what am I going to do? You know, I'm just out of college. So so um, I, got a, I got a job working, a, a part-time job, like a freelance job working for the fashion director at Mademoiselle Magazine. And they had these things that in New York City that were um, employment agencies. And so, you know, you would, I don't know, it's, it's almost like ZipRecruiter or even LinkedIn or anything like that now. And you would just put your resume there and they would interview you and they, you know, had all these job listings. And so whilst I was there, I got an interview at Calvin Klein in the store planning and visual display department, basically wow. as a secretary to the vice president of that department. And the job paid like $10,000 more. They offered me a full-time position at Mademoiselle, which sadly closed and really morphed into Teen Vogue, frankly. But um, because it was so much more money, like $10,000 was just epic when you're 24 years old. So, so I took the job at Calvin Klein and I was just absolutely just beside myself. Uh, this I, I, it was a really difficult experience. I was there a year, and then a friend called me about a job at Donna Karen, where I worked um, again, basically as a glorified secretary. Which I guess you know, looking back on it, is just what you do when you start out. I mean, I don't. Know, I mean, that's just the way it goes. So you're, you know, I had to go down and get my boss. There's a candy store on Seventh Avenue at Donna Karen, and I had to go and fish out. They had different little bins of, of candy, and they had the Hershey's little miniature guys that has like a Hershey bar and a and a. I think it was what's the yellow one, Mr. Good Bar maybe, and then a crackle. And I had to fish through the bin to only get him crackles because he didn't want the other ones. So like like that in the afternoon, if he needed like a pick me up, like stuff like that, which people do, you know whatever. And then in, in the interim, I, I got another call and saw a job actually in Women's Wear Daily. That's not true. Women's Wear used to always put jobs in the back of the newspaper. And I saw a job for PR and I, I applied and I got the job. I It was a very boutique, beautiful PR firm. Um, they had three clients, Come the Garçon, Junior Watanabe, and Jill Sander. And I was hired to work for Jill Sander in August. And three weeks later, I was in Milan doing a runway show. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, it was, that was epic. Oh that was goodness. really like an epic, like, like thrown in the deep end. An editor screamed at me because she didn't like her seat. I was like, oh, this is going to be an interesting job. It was such, I mean, and within the year, she had launched men's, I mean, everything that I could have conceivably started to do in fashion PR, I did within that first time where she opened, we, we launched an eyewear 
collection. So that was a big launch in the States where she came to New York, which she, I think was the only time in the time I worked for her that she came to New York. Yeah, it was, it was, it was intense. It was intense. I was at the, I was at the office every night until eight, nine o'clock at night at the minimum. No, we didn't work much later than that, but every night it was, it was, it was a lot. I actually, do you know, when I was thinking of, you know, researching this podcast, you gave me a deja vu of when I was in Milan. Oh, yeah? Um, when I used to work at the magazines. I think it was when I was at the face and I went to the shows and I, I remember being uh, at the front of the crowd trying to get into a Gucci show and a friend of mine, Kat, used to do the press for Gucci London, UK rather, uh, and there was an editor absolutely screaming at her <laughs> to let her ruin but she wasn't front row, yeah, and she wasn't being allowed in yet. None yeah. of, I don't think I never let anyone in, but this one muscled through to the front, yeah, because she seemed to think she was the most important person yes. around fifty of us, yes, and just berated Cat, yes. yes. And I remember thinking, my God, I would never behave towards a PR person like that. I, I actually was hit at a, at a. I was struck by a, by a man at a runway show, cocked his arm back and hit me in the chest. Wow. Yeah, that's a true wow. story. And I, you, would you believe she's since passed away and she was probably one of the coolest people I ever met, which was Liz Tilbaris at Harper's Bazaar. Mm. And um, it was a Givenchy haute couture show. One John, uh, John Galliano, I think only did three, two, two, I think he only did two haute couture shows for Givenchy before he was moved to Dior. And I did the second one. And it was a big deal because he didn't want anybody backstage after the show, which is kind of a right for people that haven't been to a runway show, there's a, 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 a congratulatory line that forms to get backstage and congratulate the designer oftentimes. And some designers don't care for that and some do. And some, you know, there's usually post-show interviews, t- uh, TV, newspapers, you know, that sort of thing. And um, so I was given, we were in this Stade Française, which is this massive football arena, uh, soccer arena but football in Europe. And uh, he had built a forest in it. And so he only wanted the top Vogue editors, Vogue Italia, Vogue France, Vogue UK, American Vogue, and Harper's Bazaar were the only editor, the only people he wanted allowed backstage after the show. And so I was responsible to get Liz Tilbaris back stage. And there was a throng of people at the backstage entrance. And I just weaseled my way through uh, as gently as I could. I didn't like sharp elbow. I mean, I'm like weigh 120 pounds and I'm, I'm not a large person. So I was kind of weaseling my way through and I had her actually by the hand, we were holding hands <laughs> above like each other, like trying to, to get through where she then saw Peter Lindbergh. And he's Peter. And I stop. I'm like, there's no stopping lady. But I couldn't, of course, say that to her. So she stopped and chat to him. She goes, Peter, come too. Peter will come too. And I'm like, at this point, like Peter's coming. I, I mean, I know that's not on the brief, but Peter's coming. So we get through the, the crowd. And I say in French, because je parle petit peu de français aussi, which is very, very comic for people that know me. My French is horrible. But I got through and then I leaned over to the security guards, they're called red ties. And I leaned over to thank them. And this man cocked his arm back and hit me in the chest to where I almost fell over. And only Liz Tilbaris, Peter Lindbergh and myself were on the other side, getting ready to go backstage. And she's like, oh, and she was like, like absolutely shrieked in horror and I said no no I'm fine and my heart was pounding out of my chest I'm like oh my god this man just hit me and I I just kept going and yeah and 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 when you think about people getting furious to get in a show it's like he's already seen the show he just can't get backstage 
How ridiculous overall. How bloody ridiculous overall. He literally struck a woman. I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. Anyway, so, yeah, there's all tons of fun little stories like that that I'm sure we could aggregate oh, over yes. hours and hours of, of Oh, yeah, that's a side conversation. <laughs> my gosh, my gosh. Do you miss going to the shows or being at the shows? Yes, yes. It's one of my favorite parts of, of, of doing PR is a very good show. There is an energy. There is, um, you know, I, I, I for a long time bristled um, at having stumbled into fashion and then continuing to work in fashion that of the kind of vapid nature of it in some ways because of that kind of ridiculousness where someone can hit you because they can't get backstage after a runway show like it's ridiculous but the fact is we get dressed every day everybody gets dressed every day unless you're on a nudist island or in a nudist colony but we choose whether you're einstein and decide to wear a black suit a white shirt and a black tie, so you don't have to use your mental capacity to decide what to wear. He still one time made a choice as what he felt he wanted to wear. And this monochromatic simplicity was what he was looking for to use all of the rest of his metal for his um, incredible brain. So so there's that that is always fascinating to me um, because it is a, we're living a culture through what we choose to wear, which I find just utterly fascinating. And the thing that in the 21st century with really the demise of, not the demise, the evolution of the glossy fashion magazine, because let's be honest, Mission has beautiful photography. Um, What's so important to me about that is true. What's so important to me about that is the fantasy of it. It is, you know, and and not the fantasy of the scroll through Instagram, because that's um, a different thing. That's, That's someone's airbrushing their daily life as opposed to a group of creative people that are conceptualizing. Like I'll say one name, Tim Walker. Imagine a Tim Walker shoot. For those of you that don't know Tim Walker, just go online, Google Tim Walker. And I mean, like just the be. I mean, I'm obsessed with his photography. And in fact, when I was in London in February, before the nightmare of the pandemic started, I was in London having a really just a, an epic meeting for me. Um, I, I happened to peek into the Victorian Albert Museum and there was an exhibit of his work oh. and it was, and I, and I bought the book from it and, and I, I just was, it was just, I was just like gobsmacked. My jaw was, it was just so immersive, so beautifully done as well. Um, but my point is, is that that, that's a different fantasy. That's not day-to-day life looking perfect. It's like, I don't even know what it is. And it takes me into a place. And that's what a good show does. A good show really does where you're like, what was that insanity. I actually mm-hmm. um, worked at the PR firm. Um, her name is Marion Greenberg. We went by MGI, Marion Greenberg International, if you will. And I subsequently worked on uh, whatever clients we got and had as we brought a new staff or whatever. I ended up doing a lot of the things that she represented. And so I one season did a junior and a come de garçon show. And that one show was the body meets dress meets dress meets body which is also known as like the pillow or the lump show so i actually was the only computer son i actually worked and they do um a show uh what the 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 um the 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 rehearsal all of the staff is required to sit in and participate and watch the rehearsal um and it had no music and the girls walked into it was a square but they entered on the on the like diagonal points on the on the corner points and they stood in the middle 
of, and it was only 200 people, which most shows, their shows in particular, can be upwards of 800 people. So it was an incredibly difficult show to put together. We had one magazine that said that they wouldn't send any editors if all of their editors weren't going to be allowed to go. It's like, you've just asked for one-tenth of the seating. So no, that's not going to happen. I mean, it was really, yeah. really hard to do. Um, but yeah, it's hard, you know. Um, but it was, it was, it was, I mean, it was like, and Julianne Deese did this cool, like, cobweb wire uh not wire it was um like almost like fishing line um around the women the, the, the girl's hair and their head and this down pillows that were stuffed with unimaginable amount of down to create because she said if uh something to the uh, akin to you know we can only use the female form or the one body type what if the shape of the body is different and everything was stretched. So all the pieces stretched over these different forms that she made, inserting these different pillow structures into the garment. I mean, that alone is just fascinating. She's wildly talented, as everyone yeah. knows. I mean, yeah. wildly talented. Yes. She's amazing. Yes. I mean, it's. I, I miss going to shows, yes. I have to say. Yeah, I bet you do. I haven't gone to shows for... But even before I started Mission, I, I kind of was pulled back on doing... I'd go to... I mean, for me, Paris was... It is the uh, just the best I think Agreed. for shows. The theatrics behind it, whether you're at a Louis Vuitton show or oh, Chanel shows. I remember going to some of them. Um, Alexander McQueen oh, shows were just the hologram. Kate Moss and another one that stood out was when he, I think he was at Givenchy and he did uh, the chessboard with the models. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, mm-hmm. you Yes, you do. You do. And, and don't you? And I would think this is why I'm in. Yeah. It. and it's very much like you saying doing the shows. I used to love when I was a stylist. The best part was being on set, yeah. but I'd hate yeah. all of the other stuff that would come yeah. with the job. Yeah. But the hustle of it. We're going to talk. We're going to come off shows because okay. I want to talk about you and your and your business yeah, sure. and your kind of how you got your business. And for our listeners, I'm going to say as well that it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and kind of my team were talking about who can we podcast, and I came up with the list, and I was like, no, 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 we have to have Libby Hahn <laughs> because if anyone deserves to be honored during this awful month um, of breast cancer it's you well, honored, as, I mean... as a dear friend of mine I don't know if that's the right word but well yes do you know what it is Libby because you're so incredible you're such an amazing woman and it, actually this what I'm going to say ties into the shows you know I, I think I was one of the people you told quite early yes. on when you got uh, diagnosed yes. um, and I was obviously shell-shocked and, and mortified and deeply concerned about you and we were for our listeners I wanted to say we were in Paris together at the shows when you had that you had an infection um on on one of your breasts and we had to go to an emergency American hospital in Paris which was awful awful experience for you but I well can I just say that that it that, that it was that was about a good six months, seven months into the whole affair. Like it was, it went on for about 15, 16 months. And so I was really in the middle of it at that point. So it wasn't a new thing. And what's funny is when I was thinking about, it it made me attune the whole experience of being ill uh, to, there's that, that niggling feeling of like, 
hey, hey, and you're like, eh, it's nothing. But you always know. And and I and I saw we were out to dinner. We weren't meant to go to the hospital. We were just out at dinner. And I happened to mention that I had when I was taking a shower when I got in, because I only gotten in that morning. I arrived at eight o'clock in the morning and worked for the day. You and I went out to dinner, which was my usual routine, and then I would be tired and then, you know, and then sleep through the night, and then I was back and then I would be on European time automatically. And so I was showering before I, I came out and I was like, what is this red splotch on on the on the, the breast that I had removed the reconstruction? And I I just kind of bothered me and I didn't think it was anything because it could have been like, I don't know, like a like, I don't know, like I scratched it too hard or something. I just didn't, but it just kept bothering me so much that I was like, I just think I have to say this at dinner because it's really on my mind. I found this thing. <laughs> Do you remember that? We were at La Venue. I remember it like I will yesterday. never forget that. Yeah. I came in from New York as yeah. well. We both had flown in and I was yeah. a few hours ahead of you yeah. and we were going to, to a party. We it was I think it was the, it was the launch of Porter magazine yes. and we dressed up. Yes, we did. And we went to a very fancy restaurant in Paris. Yes. I can't remember what it's called, but I, I can picture it clearly. It's Lavenue. It's called Lavenue. It's called Lavenue. And we sat at Gigi and, and 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 you and I went to celebrate you and we had a glass of champagne yeah. and we sat at the window yeah, table yeah. on the against the window. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I remember just saying, like I just thought saying it out loud would make me not worry about it, as if it was no big deal. Like you would have just said, Oh, I'm sure it's nothing. In my mind, I could have said, Oh, I'm sure it's nothing. But it turned out that in fact I called my doctor, he didn't get back to me, and my best friend, who is an oncologist, one of my best friends, um, you're in there too, you sweet lady. You went to the bathroom. Um, you went to the bathroom at the restaurant, I think, to take a picture. I, probably, and then I, ca- I called. I think I sent that to the doctor, and then I called Jerry, uh, my friend, and he said, "I'm sorry." And I was like, "Oh, Jiminy Christmas!" He said, uh, "Yeah, you you have to go to the hospital." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "That's an infection. It's cellulitis, and you can get sepsis. So it's not." negotiable it doesn't go away you have to go to the hospital and you it was my first day of a six-day trip and so I think it was like and I called you you said just call me when you finally get in touch with the bubble with the doctor and so and I called and I did and normally I wouldn't normally I wouldn't have done that I'm like oh I'll be fine I'll just go really if especially if I was in the city uh, you know at home but the fact that I was away I'm like I, I don't want to deal with this by myself so I call, I did call you I said guess what I'm on my way to the hospital I'm coming I'm like, oh my God. Uh, I? No, I remember it because I was, I was in the first arrondissement and I came to get you. I said, yeah. I'll be there in 20 minutes. I'll yeah. pick you up. Yep. And then I had to go every single night to have, they had to open up the wound, which I had an open wound yes. the autumn oh, before Jesus. with something called a wound vacuum, which I don't recommend for many people. And an open wound is a- Was that to keep the wound clean? Well, it's it's meant, a wound vacuum is meant to stimulate um, stimulate tissue for regeneration and for, um, for it to, to stimulate the healing of it and to reg- and regrowth. Because when you have an open wound, it heals from inside. It's not like a cut. It's very strange. I didn't even know it was there was such a thing as an. I mean, I mean, I'd never known anyone that had had an open wound or had heard of it. But your body is open. It's it's shocking. So because they have to let the infection out, and so they uh, and so she opened and cut into. Yeah, it was really awful. Because I remember we've spoken of this. I think maybe only once, Karina, or maybe never. Maybe once when we first, when you, where, where we like spoke this, of, we haven't spoken. No, where, where, where you said, and I remember thinking, I can't keep it in when she told me she had to open up my, the wound. I knew what that meant because I'd had an open wound. And I like 
wailed like I never forget that. I have goosebumps yeah. just even just even thinking thinking of it because I knew so basically you have to then pack it, it it's the whole it's it, it was just a whole another layer of like oh my god this is still happening it's still and I still had to take off the failed reconstruction and reconstruct again and take my my right breast off just to go back, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in my left breast. I had like four or five different spots of low-level things that they were concerned about. So I was not a candidate for a lumpectomy. So I had to have a single mastectomy. It wasn't an option. And so I opted to take them both off and opted on a reconstruction that's called a flap procedure, where they take a different part of your tissue and build micro like it's a microplastic surgeons is the, the the specialty and they reconnect the vascular system into your chest so that what your breasts are then made of is your very own tissue it's obviously incredibly intense um and i chose to do my backside it's not like your sit bones it's like your backside of your tushy and um and it would have to be done in two stages so they did the first breast that had the cancer in it um, and then, then that, um, had a complication. And after the first nine hour surgery, I uh, had a couple of complications actually from that surgeon where he cut the circulation in my leg off for almost nine hours. So almost had a drop leg, which is something that I didn't even know what that is either, but that's where you have no, no use of your legs. So I would have been dragging my leg, but that improved. That was the doctor said a the specialty doctor I went for that said it was only a four out of a 10, that if it was a five or six, I would have had some, such severe nerve damage. But that, and then also then the, the flap itself started to fail, but not in the 24 hours when they normally do five days later after I was sent home. And then I went into a four hour emergency surgery where he tried to save it. And um, yeah, that was the beginning of it. Yeah. And then you get on a plane and you go to Paris Fashion Week. I mean, that's why you're an amazing bloody woman. Six months later, it's incredible. And that's in February already. That was in September. That was in the end of August that happened. And this was already in February. So that's how long. I remember. Yeah, I do remember that very well. And we had some humor in the darkness. <laughs> yes. I remember every evening we would go in a cab yes. to the doctor, the American hospital. Yes. And it was this one particular doctor. And she was fantastic to you because I remember you breaking down and crying as rightly so because of the shock and yeah just knowing it was going to stop because you were going you were going for another surgery and that would have delayed it and what did, I remember the doctor saying something like oh stop stop crying don't be so silly I've been in Afghanistan and dressed worse than this pull yourself together that's what she'd said to you so I think she just used firm words just to kind of because you'd gone into shock with it all oh. and I remember every evening we went to lovely little restaurants yeah. we treated ourselves yeah. to lovely little restaurants yeah which I didn't know because you're fluent in French and you're like, you know all the blazes. And I remember sitting there thinking, and like we giggled about one thing and I went, maybe it's the first time I've ever been invited to a salon show and, and I'm missing it because I'm having dinner with you. Oh my goodness. Because you have to go to the bloody hospital. Do you remember us yes. saying that? And I was going, but you're worth it. Oh, you're absolutely worth it. Isn't that it. crazy? See, that's what you do for friends. That's a, that's a, that's a good friend oh, right God, there. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll remind you something else that was amazing, <laughs> something else that you did. When I was, as, a, as, as you being the, just a stellar stylist as one of your many talents, when I had to, for like about three or four weeks, you have to have front front closing clothes because you can't raise your arms after the surgery you you can't even like raise them you know like 40 40 40 degrees it, they really are, are 
it's amazing how fast the body's like, eh, forget it. I can't raise my arm, forget it. Mm. But, um, and you came with a sack, a sack of a dress, shirts, and just all these things that I could wear uh, that you just spent your own time, your own money. It's just so generous. Yours, of course, you're doing something as philanthropic and as far reaching as, as what you're doing now. Of course, you are. You have that spirit. Yes. Well, that actually moves me on to what you're up to now because I remember at one point you couldn't get into a bra. You couldn't wear the underwired bra. This is perfect. How this is segueing in. Yeah, thank you, Libby. You're very good. Sure. Let it in. And um, and you wanted to have a, a, a padded bra and something. And I remember going to Paragon Sports and buying you sports bras because that's what you needed and you wanted. You couldn't have the wire pressing on. No, it's not even you couldn't have it. You had to have a uh, a sports bra that zips up the front that's a size smaller. Like if you're a small, you get an extra small. Or, you know, conversely, a large, you get a medium. So that you have compression on your on your search, on your on your breasts and it has to zip up the front because you can't get your arms up over your head to put it in an over sports bra, uh, sports bra. So yeah. So I, that was, that was hard to find actually. Yes. Did that start? Um, Cause now we're going to, I really want to get onto your, yeah. onto your yeah. light bulb moment of your business. Did that start to trigger the thought behind a problem for women with breast cancer survivors afterwards, because you couldn't raise your arms. And then did that start to really kind of manifest into this bigger, bigger project? And it didn't actually, it didn't, it, one wasn't, it was, it was, it, it was not as direct as that. It was much more, um, it was much more roundabout because our product isn't post-surgical. There's no compression in our garment. There's uh, in what we make, but what started it with, only being able to wear a front-loading sports bra then precipitated once I was able after my physical therapy to move my arms normally, as, as, as happens, I then had absolutely no interest in putting on a regular bra. So after I got through, because remember too, I had eight surgeries. So one, I was post-op, 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 and then I was just back in another surgery again. So I was in that that, that headspace for about a year and a half that then once I was really done, like sincerely done with this, that particular chapter of this, of this health crisis, I had a drawer full of beautiful bras and I'm like, no, 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 I'm not putting that on. I just don't want to put it on. And so I had these, it started with this inexpensive champion sports bras from Target. And they're just over the head, regular sports bras. And I just, I would put on a, um, a, a sweater and put the sports bra on. I would put on anything that was not sheer because they were really bright colored. I, I have, I still have them. They're purple, one's green and one's pink, like bright pink. And so basically I wanted to wear these. I just wanted to wear sports bras. So if it was, it was just more comfortable. It was simply just more comfortable period. It was just that simple. So as I was looking for this other kind of really nice quality top situation, not really a t-shirt per se, because there's so many t-shirts on the planet, um, whether it's an expensive one like James Purse or like ATM or some of these com companies that make really expensive, just plain t-shirts, or you can get, you know, a $15 t-shirt at J. Crew, or, you know, even t-shirts at, at, at uh, Hanes t-shirts at Target or whatever. I wanted something that would look 
nice with some of the of the nicer clothes that I would wear for my clients. So that's where the combination goes. I, I found myself in my days not working, um, my um, cup size was small enough that I could wear those exercise tops that have the built-in bra. And that's that was the moment when I was like, I'm wearing these all the time. Why can't I make a nice, beautiful t-shirt with a bra in it? Because people had exercise tank tops that had I mean, there's plenty of exercise tank tops that have built-in bras. And so, um, but there's not a beautiful shirt that you can wear all day long. I mean, yes, you can wear those exercise tank tops all day long, but not very successfully with a good outfit, you know, a Gucci jacket to go to a runway show. You can't wear an exercise top. So it was that crossover. That's when it was like, oh. And I asked a couple of friends, a friend who was a CEO of an of a, of a fa- of a indie fashion brand at the time, a woman who owns a really cool store downtown, and another woman who is just as smart as a whip, who's done everything from PR to manufacturing. She's just so cool. And I asked them all separately, you know, is this crazy to, is this a crazy idea? Is it a sa- in a saturated market? Is this nuts? And they were like, no. I'm like, Okay. Let's mm-hmm. let's try it. And good friends of mine are menswear designers. They did it some foray into women's wear, but mostly they're known from menswear. They had a pattern maker, and I sat down with her, and that was the uh, late summer of 2017, and we launched in September 2018. And for our listeners, what's the name of the company? It is called Who Shirt Company, and it has a very deep meaning for me. It does. Yes. Um, can you tell us that meaning? Sure. When I think when I was speaking earlier about this philosophical idea of fashion in general and what we choose to wear, this idea of who you want to be by choosing what you wear and having this choice be a foundational piece, not foundation like a bra or a girdle, but like the, 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 the under part of, a, of, a, of an outfit, that you can really choose who, who you want to portray yourself as by the, by the, by the clothing that you wear. And so this double entendre of this Athenian owl, which is basically our, what our, our icon is, Athena, who's just, you know, a badass goddess who Athens is named for, by the way, she had an owl with her at all times to help her see in all directions. And, you know, who was her protector, her, her, this wise companion of hers. And so I didn't really want you know, come to Garçon Play, they do the really great big heart with the two eyeballs, and it's a patch, basically, a massive patch on the front of your of, of your shirt, and they do great t-shirts, they're very boxy. And so I wanted something with a waist, uh, a more feminine uh, um, shape, um, and I wanted that owl with me, but I, we put it on the back left shoulder. So when you see the front of your shirt, you don't see the logo, but when you turn around, it's back there on your shoulder. So it's a double entendre kind of of the sound the owl makes and this feeling of who like we could be you really can especially in this country you have that sense of like you can you can be whoever you want to be and and I just thought that that's the basis for getting dressed so let's do that it's fantastic I remember when you told me at first about it and it just made absolute sense um and you've given me some of the product and it's so comfortable it's so comfortable and it's it's a genius idea and it, it honestly, you don't want to wear a bra when put a, a bra, the conventional way of, you know, of a bra. Do you just want to wear these tops? This, and I would imagine, I'm hoping that with the pandemic that's kicked in, that has this helped with the business? Well, yes, yes. 
It has, it has for sure. Um, one of the things is that we are cognizant of the fact that it's not an inexpensive product. It's of, I, I, I've, I've tried to explain it in a way that doesn't, it doesn't degrade what anyone else makes their clothes or wear. But there's a certain time that, for example, if you go to the farmer's market in Union Square, you can find microgreens that were grown by a person for you to, to eat. It's not a some sort of large tendrilled system of where the food comes from. Like it comes from two hours upstate. Um, and you're supporting that person's livelihood and the, the process of agriculture in your local area. We make our, our shirts in Brooklyn. The elastic, it was sourced in, in Rhode Island. Our boxes are made in Massachusetts. All of these things can be sourced. And the cotton comes from North Carolina and Georgia. It's called an interlock, um, Supima cotton. And, and basically, it's just this rich, buttery hand of a cotton that just, you basically get what you pay for. I did have um, a customer recently ask, she has a prosthetic, and we don't have a pocket for we offer free bra inserts, which is that little thing that you get inside of a bikini or some bras. And and basically you just fit it over your body and the the, the internal bra will hold it in place for you. But some some products, especially with nylon, they have a little pocket that it goes in. And so she asked me, uh, would a prosthetic work? And I told her, depending on what the size of prosthetics are, that it we have had customers that that can use a prosthetic in the bra and others that have found it difficult. And I wanted her to try it. So I gave her a free one. I took her information down and I gave her a free one. And she was so kind. And, and she said the minute she wrote me back this beautiful lengthy email saying that she, um, that, that it did move around. I think hers were a little smaller and, um, but that she, the minute she felt the, the cotton and saw the box, it came in and felt the shirt. She said, now I, then I understood why it was the price it was. I don't know where I was going with that. It's, it's, that it feels so good. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you where you went with that. And I picked up on that. It seems important to you that it's, it's an all American company, yes. that everything is sourced in America. Yes. I, I think that there is a moment when I'm looking to, which is something that we're in the process of doing now, just taking a while, where I'm looking outside of America to upgrade our bra. It, it, it seems that this technology that we need is not readily available in America. So I'm working on that. And, and that's a pivot that I'm happy to make if I can get an uh, internal bra that, that uh, accommodates larger cup sizes. So that's clearly noted on our site because I think girls with larger cup sizes know they can't wear those exercise tops to work out and they have to wear a bra under it. And then the top. So it, there's not a huge ton of support. But I will say, and this is something that I would like to be a part of, that almost like feet binding, there's a moment where if you're, this will hold you up in a way that you're not used to because you've, those larger cup size women have worn a underwire bra since they were 13 or 14 or wherever they, they you know, had to start first wearing a, a large bra. And so the feeling of not feeling up it's really, I think, a uh, something that I th hope for the younger generation will dissolve because in the end, that my mother, who her first bra was a 32C when she was 14, and she subsequently is now a double D, and she has been my whole life, she has grooves and a bone spur on her shoulder from the weight of her bra strap digging into her shoulder. 
Oh, wow. And she's put on our tops. We only go up to large, which for that reason, because extra large usually tends to have a larger, a fuller cup size. And because I knew that there wasn't a huge amount of support that women have been in previous generations have been uh, squeezed into. You know, you think about oftentimes, I, I did an Instagram post the other day because I have all these beautiful shoes. I have this beautiful, one of my favorite pair of shoes of all time is this beautiful gold peep toe stiletto. It's matte, tiny micro sequins. And it has the most beautiful, like, like the most, like, absolutely, um, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, graceful, like it's a graceful, tiny stiletto. And I have worn those to dinners and parties and whatever. And I just walking in my house in, during the pandemic, I'm like, good God almighty, because they're four inches. And I was thinking, Lord, the, 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 the pain. I mean, what woman who's not come home and wanted to take and burn, like chop their feet off at the ankle and like, like my feet are on fire. And I think men can feel that with a new pair of like tight leather shoes, but still, I mean, put on a pair of stiletto heels for an hour. And then multiply it times eight hours and you're just like, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen to Stiletto, but it's a beautiful shoe. That doesn't mean that it's comfortable, but it's beautiful. So it's a similar kind of idea where, you know, the, the bra will keep your boobs, you know, raised and lift, lifted. And then in the end, you've got some digging and some pulling down all over your body. I think it's great. I was looking at your site the other day, actually, and I love that you've partnered with the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That was the most... That's such a great initiative. That's a most glorious, a, a dear friend who is also um, had the, I call it the Crappy Cancer Club. She is a member of the Crappy Cancer Club. She had breast cancer, an, uh, I think, about four years ago now. And um, we have become great friends. And she is just whip smart, hilarious. And she is just she's a beauty editor and so um she introduced me to the people at the at bcrf it's um an amazing company because really in the end it's like research is the re research is the reason that that's that's one of their taglines and it's true you know some of the, t the testing that like an oncotype which is a, a, a they test your your um, tumor and they can uh, from research know a, a, a general um, number scale of the likelihood of your tumor uh, recurring that's that particular and that was actually funded by bcrf that that research and that test wow it's remarkable that is remarkable it's remarkable and they are so gracious and we we i mean at this point i want to look back and feel like i heard paul newman make a comment about uh, his his newman's own company which he started with one salad dressing because friends always asked him for a salad dressing and in the end he has like dog food and cookies. Um, it just became huge. And I think his daughters, if I want to say, um, or his family even work for the company. And he said, had I any idea because all of the, all the profits are given away to charity. And he said, and I, and, and I thought I would love just to give, I just to know how much support and comfort we've given at the same time, supporting research that saves women's lives. Research, yeah. Because yeah. so many women get breast cancer now. It's just, it's remarkable. And I always say, you know, go get a mammogram. It saved my life. It really did. It really did. Well, I think in America, they're offered, um, no, I beg your pardon, in the UK, I think they're offered at a later stage in a woman's life. And it's every couple of years, I believe. It's supposed to, the, yeah, it's, it's meant to be, if, unless you have past history, that's the, the first 
important thing to know. If you have past history on either side, either a parent or a, a near relative, you have to, they, they ask you to get screened earlier, get a baseline. The baseline is just so that they can see what should be a healthy breast tissue. And in America, it's 40 and you go every two years. Uh, this is just standard for non, uh, for non-familial breast cancer. You go every two years until you're 50 and then you go every year. And it's just important because I had gone, I had, it was only my third one between the second one and the third one. And in fact, my, my, my surgical oncologist, I mean, this, I could hear in her voice, her relief when she called me with the, with the, with the pathology report post my, my first surgery at the end of August. She goes, it's not in your lungs. I was so relieved. And she just went like, she said it like that. I said, oh, great. She said, so it's stage one. It was, you know, invasive ductal carcinoma. Um, and as I said, I had LCIS, which is lobular ductal carcinoma in situ. And then, excuse me, lobular carcinoma in situ, and then ductal carcinoma in situ, and then hyperplasia, which is some cells that are like, eh. And then also this invasive ductal carcinoma, which is, you know, um, means that it's spread, but it hadn't spread. They, they found it soon enough that it hadn't gone anywhere. And that was because of a mammogram. And, and what's hilarious is that I was literally, I had no history of breast cancer on either side of my family. And I'm in a gown waiting for my, um, I had to have a magnified mammogram and I'm waiting for the magnified mammogram results, which oftentimes because my the place where I got my mammogram, the radiologist reads them in time. And so they asked me to stay. Oftentimes they'll ask you to come back. Like you'll find out the next day that they want to ma magnify a spot. But I happened to have been there and she was, she read it and I had to go back, stay and get a magnified mammogram. And I was on the phone with a Vogue editor talking about an exclusive that I had worked on and a possible, possible conflict article that was maybe going to come out in women's wear that maybe might kill the story. And so I'm standing in the hallway so as not to disturb the other, the other women who are getting their, you know, their, their, their tests, you know, trying to tiptoe into this minefield wearing, you know, undies and a hospital gown talking on the phone in the hallway <laughs> and then she and I came back in and she said see this why won't you show this this and here so we want you to have a biopsy I'm like oh well, that's surprising I just didn't even think about it yeah it's life it's life changing you're amazing I yeah I would imagine it would be I'd imagine it would be but you're such you're such an inspiration because you go you know I remember and this I this is what I wanted to say before we kind of segued into other things I remember when you come through having your double mastectomy and you'd recovered and it wasn't that long after you're doing a show New York Fashion Week and um, I can't remember who, it might have been Taku and I can't remember who it was or Creatures of the Wind and you're standing there letting guests come in you've got your board of your VIPs and the list of the PRs and everyone and or the media rather and I walked in and I got there a little bit early and I walked on the bench and I was just watching you and you were just greeting everybody like nothing could happen to you, like none of it had happened before. And you had such, I don't even know how you did it. I really, I remember watching you because I got there early and all these people had no idea, no idea what you've just gone through. And I, I, that will stick with me for such a long time, Libby, forever. Well, you know, I think that anyone, whether it's grief, loss, pain, suffering, illness, all the things that are, that darken most everyone's brain with worry, that, you know, the worry is that, that, that thing where you, you know, you feel like you're doing, like it's an active, an active 
action, which it isn't. It is, um, and and when you actually when you actually are are confronted with the actuality of it, and I have to be honest, which is why during the pandemic, I saw friends that could not deal with it, that didn't come around, and the fact is, is that that idea of um, illness and lack of control and also uh, mortality. People deal with it very, very differently. I listened to the most fascinating interview with, I think it was Tim Ferriss and Katie Couric, if I want to say, and Katie Couric was speaking of her and her husband who passed away from colon cancer. And they were both in their early forties and had little little children. And that he she said, you know, he, he, she said, here are two, the two of them. He was an attorney, a high level attorney. Uh, I think he was a white collar criminal attorney. And she's like one of the biggest journalists in the largest networks on the planet earth. And she said between the two of them, uh, he didn't want to know anything about what he had. And obviously he had late stage, stage four terminal colon cancer because he died of his, of his illness. And she was convinced that she was going to help, you know, find a cure and that it wasn't terminal. And she said in that, that they, that they both dealt with that moment in a way that she said, these were her words, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but she said, you know, that deprived him of leaving notes or reaching out or connecting with their children or having some kind of passage of life because I have goosebumps. Every, this is the certainty of us all. The certainty of us all is the door we'll walk through is the end of it. And for some, not to be a smart ass, but we don't have to pay taxes, some people. We're going to skip right over that. So it's not death and taxes. It's really just death. So people deal with it in a different way. And she said, you know, uh, that, that these are two, she were, they were two educated, well-educated people and they had a, a really difficult time. And I was in my early forties as well. So it's this kind of thing like, what, this is it. It's what, this is going to happen. What a bummer. And I just didn't, I, you just, to get on with it, if you just find your metal. And I was really, I was exhausted after it. Absolutely exhausted. But emotionally, physically, emotionally, the whole thing. And, and it was one of the things with my PR career that the amount of energy it takes to take care of the designers and how some of my clients behaved was an sh absolute shock to me. But the, the whole thing all wrapped up is really just life, whether it's a sick child or whether it's losing a job and what this entire globe is experiencing now with the pandemic. And so all of that is about, for me, I'm looking for the smile. I'm looking for the sunshine. I'm looking for the sparkle. And when I can't find it, I find someone who I know, like yourself, that makes me laugh. Where you find it until you can catch a breath and keep going. Because guess what? The shit's fun. Can I say shit? I, I just said it twice. If I can't say oh, it. Oh, you can say <laughs> it. You can. You can. I don't care. So you know what I mean? Like, like that's really the best part of everything. This, this of philanthropy is giving, giving, giving. Like you just want to feel like you gave. I listened to also what's uh, to Brene Brown say something just today. She said that it's a prayer that she that she says in her life, and she says, "I, I, I, I pray that I give more than I criticize when I when my, when I'm at the end of my days. That I have given more." to this world, to my, of myself, to life, than I've criticized. And I think now in this day and age, that's a very powerful thing to think about. I think about that's so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look at the, look at, look at the last, the last issue, you know, talking about all of these things to let people be who they are. I, I think that's right. It's, it's, 
everyone gets dealt certain cards in life and it's dependent on how you deal yeah. with it and how you handle yeah. it. And I think it's so important yeah. to have, try to have a strong, optimistic outlook on things. It's hard. Yes. It's oh really my goodness. It really is. This year, everyone's finding it difficult. Um, Libby, it's been an absolute... My mom called it the bummer summer of 2020. Yes. Yes, it is. I'm sorry to me to talk over you. She said the bummer summer of 2020. I'm like, mom, P.S. It started in March. And I think we needed something that rhymes with the entire year, which is not... It's like the 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 austere year 2020. It's not even austere. It's just a terrible... It's been a hard year for the, for the globally. Yeah. It's just terrible year. You know, when we started doing these with um and I apologize Charlene can't be on the call but she um she's doing her she's doing a, an album and, and working now back into working stuff but we spoke in in, in April when we started doing like, like getting onto these we were like oh let's not mention a pandemic because we don't know when that podcast is going to go live right. and it's probably going to be gone by right. then that was in April or March we had that and not so much just it's it's not going anywhere just not for the minute not for the minute here we are smack dab in the middle of it so look I mean the fact is is that but I was I was saying before the crackle I was saying I was speaking of the last issue about letting people be who they are people are allowed to be who they are what is wrong with that there was this great billboard Manhattan mini storage does these great billboards I mean some of them are better than others but one of my favorite ones if you don't like gay marriage don't get gay married it's like what you do what you want to do. You go ahead and get married the way you want to. But why can't that person get married too? Like, what does it have to do with you? Yes. But yes. even meanwhile, I, that can be divisive. No, only to say that there that people do have a strict structure about what 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 constitutes marriage, and that's for them to have. But the way this country is set up, it's like you can have that belief, but the other person can have their belief too. Just as much as friends that read Fox News and read uh, Breitbart and read, you know, things that don't necessarily align with their own beliefs, but you have to understand. Like I was thinking about um, the, the the Supreme Court nominee. You know, she's got seven children, and she is being at forty eight years old considered for Supreme Court justice. That's an achievement in her life. Whether or not I believe in her in her in her in her values is, you know, utterly important to our constitution going forward and the way it's going to be uh, 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 perceived and adjudicated, if you will. But the fact is, is that that's wonderful for her achievement. Good for her. She worked hard and look where she got herself. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not going to comment on that. We're not going to go politics. Not on this hard. It's too hard. And I'm going to say thank you because we are on an hour. We, do you know, when Charlene and I started these, we said, let's do 20 minutes. We've not done one that's 20 minutes, I don't think. I don't think, I mean. Everyone we have on, we love talking to. We love talking to. And I love that you did Anita Bitten. She's she's a great, great friend of said doctor. I was like, oh, she's incredible. She is just smart as a whip. And she's so, so has such a unique voice in, in, in model casting. We did a, a bunch of shows together. Well, I think that's kind of important to have in the podcast, just different people doing and Ivan Bart my goodness I mean IMG is one of the top agencies on the, in the, in, on, the on the planet yes yes and he very much he, we were very grateful he gave his time to us and it was actually very interesting to hear uh, his take and Anita's take on what's the state of the industry at the moment and how that's going to move forward but uh, Libby thank you so of much course. for doing this. oh my thank goodness we wish you so much support and and success and anyone listening please go and look at who shirt company 
because it's it's they're worth getting they're worth just experiencing the feel of them on this fantastic and congratulations on bringing cashmere and oh, yes. different styles to the the brand yeah i wish you all the best libby thank you so much thank you darling and i wish you the very same i hope you give millions and millions of dollars away so do i that's the whole intention <laughs> that is the whole oh, intention no, i want awesome. to be so rich that we can give it that's all exactly. away exactly the more you have the more you can give away. take good care love okay honey bye 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 thank you for listening to my mission is with libby Hahn. Our next guest is a designer who this year was honoured for her support of local artisans. She was awarded the Fashion Group International Sustainability Award presented by Maison de Mode. Formerly of Lutz and Patmos, please tune into our next podcast as I talk to Tina Lutz, where we learn what she is doing now and how she earned that award. Take care. Thank you always for listening. All my best, Karina. <laughs>